0: Hey, I'd love for you to stand. We're going to read God's Word together. So if you'll stand for the reading of Scripture, we're going to uh, actually read three separate sections. First uh, John's where we'll begin, and then we're going to read two passages from the Gospel of Matthew. The first is when Jesus calls the disciples initially, and then the second will be when He sends them out. So so uh, you read along with, with me. First John chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments as a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected by this we may be sure that we are in him whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked amen if you're following Jesus You're going to walk, you're going to live, you're going to think, you're going to prioritize, you're going to do what the things we see him do. Now, Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 18, let's see how Jesus walks. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you Fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. One more, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, your word says that we ought to be warned in saying we follow you if we don't really listen to you. Whoever says that he belongs to you but doesn't obey your commands is a liar. The truth is not in him, but Whoever keeps your word is truly your disciple. You have commanded us to make disciples. So if we really abide in you and the love of God is being perfected in us, we will make disciples. Father, give us grace to think about these things carefully and uh, thank you for the privilege of Being here in this church in Rocky Mount, Lord, I pray for all the gospel-proclaiming, Jesus-following churches in our area, that this is a glorious Sunday as your truth is proclaimed, and we pray by grace, listened to and obeyed, in Jesus' name, amen. Does your life get better or worse, when you obey Jesus? Does your life get better or worse when you obey Jesus? Because we can see all the way back in that ancient serpent, Genesis 3, the subtle claim was if you really listen to God, your life will be limited, be diminished, will be, will be lesser. Lesser. But according to 1 John, when you keep his word, the Bible says the love of God's perfected in you. So here's one way we can always know if we're heading in the right direction. Are you becoming a more loving person as time goes on? You find yourself, and remember what the Bible says about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not in a hurry. Do you find yourself as you kind of progress through life more loving, more irritable, more kind, more harsh? The commands of God rightly understood and obeyed, make you become more and more like Jesus. So here's my question. Is Jesus patient? Is Jesus kind? And what is he about in life, right? Now, I'm making the claim on the basis of Scripture. As you obey Jesus, your life gets better. But please don't hear this. Your life gets easier. Because that's not true. But you live in a generation that has made the claim that life is better to the extent that it's easier. And that's never going to work, right? But your life will get better as you follow Jesus. And the commands of Jesus don't place a limit on your life. And obeying the commands of Jesus won't place a limit on our church. They actually free you up. It's a lie to say the commands of Jesus restrict joy in your life. Actually, obeying the commands of Jesus is the only way to have joy in life. Can I get an amen? If you want to experience the love and power of Jesus in your life, devote yourself to obeying the command to make disciples. here's, uh, Here's the command of Jesus. Go and make disciples. That means that every enemy of Jesus is leveraged against you ever doing that. And I think it's true it doesn't matter uh, as far as the enemies of Jesus what you devote your life to so long as you don't devote your life to that. The enemies of Jesus don't, don't really mind what we devote ourselves to as a church as long as we're not devoted to making disciples. So I want to emphasize that word this morning. We've been in a series of sermons called Mission Precision where we're asking some basic questions on one hand, but some kind of deep and probing questions on the other. Questions like, what is the gospel? What is conversion? What is evangelism? A couple of weeks ago, what is a disciple? And today we want to ask the question, what is disciple making? Disciple's actually the most common word in the New Testament to refer to followers of Jesus. The word disciple is found 270 times in the New Testament the word Christian is found three times, right? So it's a, it's a word that's important to the heart of God and what we learn in scripture is every disciple of Jesus is called to make disciples of Jesus. So we ought to be able to ask these two questions and get the same answer. Are you a disciple of Jesus? You can answer that in your life. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you making disciples of Jesus? Should rightly understood, can't say yes to one and no to the other, right? According to to Jesus. And we simply don't, we certainly don't want to say, are you making disciples? And then you just say, oh. But here's where we find ourselves in the North American church in 2023, is we're we're kind of drifted a little bit from the mission that Jesus has actually given us, which is to make disciples. Man, I think what's really helpful is uh, we can see how Jesus went about it so that we can learn some things uh, about it. So let's talk about the pattern of Jesus in making disciples. So if you've got your Bible and you've got a paper version like I do, you could, you could think of it this way. In Matthew 4, Jesus says to the disciples, follow me. In Matthew 28, he says, now you're going to go and make disciples. And if you have Matthew 4 open and then Matthew 28, you've got this little section of scripture, and in those pages, Jesus makes them disciples. Does it make sense, right? And so we can, we can follow the trajectory of what he does, and uh, you can think of it this way. The next two birthdays I've got in my family, number one, baby girl's one year old come Thursday. Julie and I have been talking about her birthday party, some things that we're going to do. Next month, my oldest turns 18. Those two birthday gatherings Are going to look a lot different don't you think what one's going to do the other's not going to do i don't think right i don't think at 18 we're going to strap you down in the high chair and spoon feed no i mean at the same time at the same time i'm not going to ask the one-year-old or try to get her to do what the 18 year old could do obviously you know that there's been a number of years that have gone by and the matter is maturity and that's what happens in the life of a disciple when you're born again you're fully alive my Jenna bear is fully alive, but she's not yet mature. So we know the difference between those two things, right? Fully alive, there's not something that's going to come along one day and make her more alive than she is right now. No, she's alive, but she's not mature. So disciple a disciple is someone who is maturing unto Christ likeness. So let's, let's walk through it. We, we might think of it this way. There are phases to discipleship. It's clearly the pattern of Jesus in making disciples. And we can agree on this, can't we, church family? We're not going to improve on the pattern of Jesus when it comes to making disciples. So we do best to see here's how he does it and then we want to to do the same. I've been really helped by Replicate Ministry and 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 their book Replicate recently. So some of these principles that I'm outlining to you I've I've read and heard from them. So so phase four tweaked it a little bit but phase four uh, I'm sorry phase one here's where Jesus starts with the disciples. I do, you watch, and the disciples are Listeners. Look at Matthew chapter four. Right? While walking by the Sea of Galilee, verse 18, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And he says, Follow me. And if we keep reading a little bit, Matthew chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Taught who? Taught the disciples. So this is phase one. Who's doing the doing? That's kind of a silly question, isn't it? Jesus is. I'm doing, and you're going to watch. What are the disciples being asked to do here in this first phase? To watch, observe, take in. They're learning to listen to the Lord. Remember what Jesus said to Martha. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Mary, who is sitting at his feet, listening, Jesus said she's chosen the better portion, and it's not going to be taken from her. But let's talk for a moment about how you listen and how you watch. When we say the disciples watched, I'm not saying they passively spectated. Like like last month, I, I watched the Super Bowl. But I did not sit there and watch it with any mindset that said, this time next year, I'll be in that game. That's not what I was doing, right? I was not examining Patrick Mahomes' footwork and say, okay, he does this and three-step drop and that's what I'm going to... No, no. I was watching as a consumer, right? I I was watching with no expectation that I'll ever be playing in the Super Bowl. So when Jesus says, you're going to watch, you're going to listen... It's not unto entertainment, it's unto implementation, right? Back to my baby girl, she's watching all the time. We've been trying to teach her to do this, say, I love you, I love her. And here's what she's learned to do, she does this. That's kind of hang loose, I don't know, maybe, maybe that is what she's saying, but she hasn't quite got it yet, but she's watching, she's observing all the time. unto implementation right now when I watch the Super Bowl there's nothing in me that says one day I'll I'll be out on the field but when a paratrooper of the 82nd airborne is being taught here's how you pack your parachute right that's not spectating that's saying I'm going to implement this so therefore I really need to pay attention right because I don't want to be out of the airplane and think to myself now what am I supposed to do And we got to be careful with this because this is part of the drift of of the North American churches. We can be familiar with what God says without a heart to implement what he says. So what makes for a good church? It's implementation. That's what the Bible says. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Listen to it again. Isn't the Bible so helpful? Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You know who the best case for this is? Who is the staunchest, uh, most entrenched enemies of Jesus in his public ministry? It's this group of people called the Pharisees, right? And they knew their Bibles. They could quote it. They just never did it. Well, they didn't mind telling other people to do it, Right? But they had, no, they had no heart to... They, they knew the Bible, but they didn't know the God of the, of the Bible. But listening, learn to really listen is, is foundational. See, what, what we'll do for Jesus is never going to outpace the time you spend with Jesus. So no matter how much you mature, you'll never outgrow the importance of, of listening. That's one danger. What's the other danger? The other danger is if all you ever do is listen, meaning, and uh, say this with great kindness, uh, but a sober warning from the Scripture, we'll probably do better to implement and obey the knowledge of the Bible we already have, rather than to seek to gain more knowledge without implementing what we already know. Does that make sense? As an example, man, when I was in college, I had a, I had a friend who, um, who wanted to get Ripped. So he, he went to GNC and he got a, a mass builder, like a supplement, and he started taking it. But he didn't ever really go work out. So here's what happened. He added the mass. But it wasn't in a healthy way. So what was actually designed to make him get cut and ripped, he, he just consumed without then putting in the work in the gym, and that's what happens. That's what can happen in the in life of a, uh, of a person who says they want to follow Jesus. It can happen in the life of a church that we can get unhealthy if we add knowledge Even the Bible warns you this, knowledge just puffs up. Is Bible knowledge important? Absolutely. That's well, what we got our Bibles open right here. It begins with listening, but it never stops with listening. Don't be hearers of the word only, and so deceive yourselves. That's phase one, and it's an important phase. But we'll notice in the life of Jesus, he did not come just to teach them lecture to them. The Sermon on the Mount is awesome, y'all. It is incredible. I encourage you today before the day's over, just sit down and carefully and slowly read through the Sermon on the Mount. And when you get to the end of it, it says, when he finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. But you'll notice the Gospel of Matthew doesn't end there, right? We keep going because discipleship keeps going. And that brings us to phase two, where Jesus has the approach of, I do and you help. I'm going to do you're going to help. Now, we're in Matthew, but I think a, a great way to see, uh, see this point is in Mark chapter 6. So, if you're in Matthew, the next book over in the New Testament is Mark chapter 6. And let's read verse 33. Mark chapter 6 Mark 6, uh, 33, Now many saw them as Jesus and the disciples going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them when he went ashore and saw a great crowd he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things And when it grew late and then and when it grew late his disciples came to him and said this is a desolate place the hours late Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before the people and he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 basketful of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now this is this is awesome. So many things we could pull from this but here is the uh, point of emphasis. He's doing, they're helping. They're, They're moving from just getting fed, right, to helping in the feeding. So as we mature, we're not permanent listeners. We grow into participators. They begin to actively help in things. They're they're not there just to be fed. They are there to make sure other people get fed. This is a mark of maturity in the life of 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 a follower of Jesus in the church and in the world. So as you're maturing in Jesus, you begin to show up, not just to be served, but to serve. Of course, Jesus is the one working in power, right? He's the one doing the amazing things, but he's also entrusting them to see if they're faithful in little things. Let's see this together. Long before Peter ever preached at Pentecost, he carried a basket around, right? That's the mark of discipleship. Did you notice um, their heart and Jesus' heart about the crowd aren't in sync together? Did you see that? Uh, What was their plan? When it grew late, verse 35, his disciples came to him and said, It's a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away. That's their plan. The people need to get their needs met somewhere else. Now listen, immaturity looks at other people as problems that need to go away, not as sheep upon which you need to have compassion, right? And we see that Jesus, it says, did you notice, in fact, it's kind of emphasizing it. They're going, they're walking, they show up, but it's only him. He had compassion on them. You know what I've noticed? And I love my kids, but the more immature they are, the less compassion they have for other people. I mean, when you're immature, it's kind of just about you and what you want and what you need, and that's mine, 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 mine. A mark of maturity is all your minds get replaced with ours and you. I mentioned uh, Replicate. It's uh, Robbie Gallaty. He's a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. And I thought this was helpful to my life. He, he says, uh, maturity happens through ministry. Meaning, sometimes we say, wait until you're mature and then you can minister. But well, that's not Jesus' approach. Now, here's what he knows about them. They, they don't have it all figured out. Now, we might approach this and say, they need some more knowledge. He needs to teach them to have compassion and then they can help. But that's not what Jesus does. So so here's kind of what we're getting at. People are going to make mistakes. People are not going to get it right. But Jesus doesn't say, here's the good news. Think of it this way. When they say, send them away, Jesus doesn't look at them and say, well, I'm going to send you away. right?" I'm going to stick with you. You're about to see something amazing. And I'm actually, even though your heart isn't as mature as it one day will be, I'm still going to get you to help. That maturity happens through ministry. Sometimes we think we need to be fully mature before we start serving. And so I'll just get some more knowledge. Well, no, the, the real knowledge comes through implementation. So Robbie Gallaty says this guards us from the consumer versus co-worker dynamic. Because if you just listen long enough but never grow into the next phase, you begin to think that that's what the Christian life is. So think of it this way. He says... Here's a consumer mindset and a co-worker mindset. You know what a consumer is, right? I'll give you an example from my life this past week as a consumer. Juliana and I, I, my nine-year-old daughter, we went out to get a little something to eat at a fast food establishment, ordered our food, sat down. I said fast food, didn't I? That was my expectation. The whole reason we went there is because it was going to be fast. And 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, 20 minutes in. And you know what I started to notice? Here's what I started. They came in after me, and they've already got their food. Here's my child looking at me, learning some things. Learning some things. And I kind of say under my breath, I'm about to go up there and ask for my money back. Why? I've been in that place as a consumer, expecting to be served. I paid my money. Now I deserve. Anybody who brings that heart into the church, it's devastating. It's devastating to the church, and it's actually devastating to the person who holds that mentality. But that mentality, y'all, in this culture is pervasive. It's everywhere. It's one of the reasons everyone seems so angry, right? I'm not getting what I deserve. If you're a follower of Jesus, that statement, I'm not getting what I deserve, becomes one of the reasons you praise the Lord. Boy, if I got what I deserve. You have a seat at his table. You've been welcomed in by grace. The king of the universe looks at you and says, You can follow me. I'll make you into something. I'm not here to restrict your life, I'm here to give you life. But it transforms the heart. That's one of the ways that we define a disciple. A disciple is someone who has a transformed heart transformation that comes from the inside and affects everything about your life. And this is one of the keys of transformation. You go from being a consumer who expects to a servant who puts others first. So Robbie Gallaty put it this way, a consumer is a spectator. A co-worker is a participant. A consumer criticizes everything that doesn't line up with his or her preferences. It shouldn't take this long. My food should have been here by now. Da, 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 da. A coworker appreciates what God is doing in the church. A, a, a consumer comes to sit and get. A co-worker looks to go and serve. A consumer asks, what's in it for me? A co-worker asks, what's in it for you? A consumer only takes in for themselves. A co-worker looks to pour into others. That's helpful to think about, right? And that's phase two. You go from From only listening to now, I do, you help, the disciples are loyalists. There's a lot of people who start following Jesus. You follow the Gospels, right? And it's actually after the feeding of the 5,000, according to John 6, that a lot of people turn around and say, "We're, we're out, right? Because Jesus is making it clear that this is not a consumer relationship. It's actually something much better. It's a covenant relationship, and that takes us to phase three. You do. You do, and I'm going to help. You do, and I help. We're just touring through the Gospels now. If you're in Mark, let's turn to the next one is Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. After this, we'll get back to that in a moment. Something happened. Something went down. And after that happened, the Lord appointed... Seventy-two others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, now listen to what he says. When we think about what we're talking about, you might know this passage, but think about what he says. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So this is phase three. Jesus says, you're going to do, and I'm going to help. He sent them on ahead of him. They go to, out in pairs. And then, look in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. I'm telling you. You obey and listen to God, it doesn't diminish the quality of your life it actually fills it up. They return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So let's think about this face for a moment. In this phase, they're going out, but then he's still giving them feedback. It's, it's uh, one of the rarest but most precious things. He's giving them accountability. And this is why, by the way, a lot of people don't make it out of phase two. Because phase three re- requires honest feedback. Hey, you did some things right, but here's some other things you didn't do right. So if all we ever want is affirmation and not honest evaluation, that's the enemy of actually maturing right the gap honestly between phase two and phase three is the biggest one it's the hardest one to go from one to the other jesus says it right here the laborers right are few why is that well did you see in luke 10 after this this is going to explain why it's so hard to go from phase two to phase three Luke 9, 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? That's what we want people to say, isn't it? I mean, if somebody came up to you today and said, I want to follow Jesus wherever he goes, whatever he wants to do in my life, we kind of have a posture of, praise God, go do it. But that's not what Jesus said. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. Same words used to, in Matthew 4, Right. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. There's something else that's more important to me right now than that. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So, so why is it so hard to go from phase two? Did you see this? They, 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 they weren't antagonistic towards Jesus. They're making bold claims, right? I'll follow you wherever you go. Follow me, Jesus says to one. Yeah, I will, but. They're not, anti, they're not anti-Jesus. Are they? Are they? After this, in other words, after filtering through that, that's who he sent out. What was the distinction? I can tell it to you in one word. Pain. Sacrifice. That's the difference. I think of it this way. I've probably used this illustration before. I did grow up loving football. And, uh, and I thought I knew a lot about football. Until I tried to play football. Do you know what I mean? Like I had this VHS tape. That recounted the history of the Super Bowls. And I watched it day after day after day. And I'll just demonstrate this. Abel, you're the one that I know I can call on, and you will still be friends at the end of it. So just give me a number, 1 to 25. Any number, 1 to 25. 22. Does anybody know who won Super Bowl 22? I do. It was Washington. They beat the Denver Broncos. They scored 35 points in the second quarter. Doug Williams was the MVP of Super Bowl 22. Give me another number, 1 to 25. 14 Pittsburgh Steelers. Fourth time they won the Super Bowl. They beat the Los Angeles Rams. Terry Bradshaw was the MVP. And I thought I knew some things about football. So you know what I did in eighth grade at Edwards Junior High? I went out for football. I showed up on that field, and you know what I said as I walked out there? Man, there's some athletic, there's some big, there's some strong guys around here, but nobody here knows football better than I do. Got to our first game. It's a junior high football game. We're playing at Rocky Mount Stadium. Fourteen people are in the stands. And 10 of them came to see me. <laughs> my youth pastor was there. Brought some other guys in the youth group. My brothers were there. And uh, kickoff's about to come. Well, right before the game start, I go to tie my cleats because I'm fired up, but I pull them too, too tight and the shoestring breaks. Now, I'm on the kickoff team, but we don't receive. Uh, uh, I'm on the kickoff team, but we win the toss or whatever, and we're going to receive so I thought I was somebody great, but I don't, I don't, I'm not the quarterback. I'm not the wide receiver. I'm not the running back. I'm not the linebacker. I'm on the special teams, which means the kickoff team, right? It's kind of, kind of where they put people who aren't good enough to be anywhere else. I knew that, but I didn't want to admit that, right? I wasn't ready for that accountability in my life. So these friends of mine have shown up and they've come to see me play. I wore number 67. I asked for 16, because that's Joe Montana's number. They said, sorry, it's taken. 67? I knew everything about football, and I couldn't name you one person who wore that jersey number. So a little chant starts up among my friends. We're going through the first half. Put 67 in. Put 67 in. And I can see the coach is looking. Who is 67? And he looks at Why do they want him in? I mean, what is is it? So we go through the whole first half, and I never get on the field. But if you know football, what's happening at the start of the second half? If you receive the ball first half, you're kicking it off, so I'm going. And I run out on the field, and my friends erupt. Yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. So everybody's watching me because they've drawn attention to me, and we kick that ball off, and man, I'm running for everything I've got. My responsibility is to find the man with the ball and tackle him. Now, it's at this moment As I'm sprinting as fast as I can down the field, I forget something. It's that rather important. There's also guys from their team running this way as fast as they can. We're playing Greenville Rose. And I've locked on the guy. I'm going to tackle him. And just the last moment out of the corner of my eye, I see him. But I'm just going to go on and tell you, by then, it was too late. He ran into me with the force of a 1,000 freight trains. And he just kept going. I was literally knocked out of my shoe. The shoestring broke, kind of loose, and I'm looking up at the sky. I can still see it in my mind. And and I'm getting up, and I'm thinking, maybe nobody saw that. (laughs) Not only, well, let's put it this way, everybody saw that. I'm kind of limping over to this. In fact, if you be real quiet, this is true. I got hit on this side. Listen. I thought it was going to rain this morning. I didn't know it was going to snow. But I can tell. I can tell my shoulder to this day. I got over to the sidelines, and I look up to my friends, thinking I'm going to get a little morale boost. One of them is on the ground laughing so hard. (laughs) So hard. And then the other two... Do like a double high five, but that was—I've never seen anything like that before. The put sixty-seven chance were over. Moving from the sideline to the field involves. You know what I decided, actually, as a football player? I was going to go back to the sidelines. I was going to go back to the stands. And that is what I did all the way with the rest of high school. But but that's not what you can do in your Christian life. You're not going to get it right every time. You're not going to look to share the gospel with somebody and their reception to it is, I am so glad you're sharing this with me. You know what you'll get? Eye rolls and dismissals 90% of the time you'll come under attack. You'll come under spiritual attack. Because the enemy, he doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to worry about people on the sidelines. You remember that in Acts, when uh, those guys who didn't really walk with Jesus, they try to walk into a spiritual fight and going to cast out some demons, and they leave so roughed up they didn't even have their clothes on anymore? I mean, that's true. You can go read it if you're interested in that today. And they looked at him and said, Jesus of Nazareth we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? We're not worried about you in the least. And the reason a lot of people don't ever actually get into the realm of making disciples is because it's hard. It's hurtful, man. I've not done this well in my life. I know that. But there have been some times I've tried to make a disciple out of somebody and just walk away. It hurts. So so when you, when our church, when we set out to make disciples, we just have to know we're going to be criticized. Primarily, we ready for this? From people who stand on the sidelines, sit in the stands. So here's a mark of maturity as you follow the Lord. I remember, I remember after I got obliterated on the football field, I was standing there, had the wind knocked out of me, and I was just, a guy came up beside me, one of my teammates, and he said, Hey man, you need to keep your head on a swivel out there. You know what I said? I appreciate that. You know where that comes from? That comes from somebody else who's in the game, right? I'm gonna to listen to him. When I went to Pizza Inn with the friends after, after school, oh man, you got lit up. You got, you, you're the worst ever. <laughs> that, uh, you have to know when you face criticism. Is this, uh, or, or uh, input, accountability, is this coming from a co laborer? Or is this coming from a consumer? Do You know what I mean? I mean? Paul, you read his letters. criticized all the time. But he keeps, he keeps going. Because here's the reality. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're not going to stay on the sidelines because that's not where he is. He's in the world. He's all about the gospel going further. He's all about the advance of the gospel. He's all about the kingdom. So if we say we belong to him, we will walk as he did. So phase four is, you do, I cheer. That's what Jesus ultimately wants to get them. And that brings us back to Matthew chapter 28. I, wanna, I want you to see something with me. I don't know if cheer is the right verb there, but you understand what we're getting at. Matthew 28 Read what's going on. I'm I'm so helped by the Bible because it's so true to life. Matthew 28, verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So what are they doing? They're listening to him. They're listening. They're they're following him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But isn't this interesting, these three words? But some doubted. So Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What are they doubting? You know what? I think they're doubting whether or not they're going to be able to do what he's really asking them to do. Doubting. And that might be where you are. You say, oh, I'm tracking with you, man. I'm tracking. Phase one, phase two, phase three. I, I understand all that. It's clear in the scripture. But I don't know if that's something that I can do. You want some good news? You can't. We're not up for this. That's why he said, the authority doesn't belong to you. It actually belongs to me. And I am going to be with you. I'm going to be With you, When we see the disciples of Jesus in the book of Acts, there's this great uh, combination of they do exactly what Jesus did, their traits are are his traits, but they don't do it perfectly, right? And even Peter, if you know his life, Paul's got to oppose him to his face. This is well after Matthew 28 and say, man, your conduct's not in keeping with the gospel, so so you, you continue to have accountability. And while they don't do everything right, They are maturing as disciples of Jesus. And the gospel advances through a whole lot of pain. So that brings us to the last thing we'll talk about briefly. And that's the best question a church can ask. The best question a church can ask is this. Are we making disciples? Are we making disciples? Are we doing what Jesus commands us to do? Now, most of the evidence as those who, in humility, really study the state of the North American church. The evidence is, by and large, we're making half-disciples. And and by that, I mean, we're we're making loyal listeners more than laboring leaders. Does that make sense? Like, we're, we're kind of getting to phase two, and then... Why is that? Well, there's any number of reasons, but I'll tell you uh, 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 at the top of the list, is the North American church has drifted into cu- customer service mentality. Where was I at that restaurant? Said I'm about to get up, ask for my money back, and what? Leave. And go somewhere else. Right. And that's what I mean when I say well, man, that can creep in. Churches where it's like, uh, what, what do we need to do to sort of make everybody happy? Aren't you, aren't you glad this morning where we sang the song, Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. So we desire, and I think, hey, have you noticed this? I think it's kind of happening. This is exciting. in the North American church, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's some things going on, amen? As people recover a vision of God That he's going to make me holy. And that's so much better than me saying, God, would you please make me happy? And I believe it's going to happen in a lot of places. And I see great evidence of it happening here too. So in conclusion, a couple of things. Can you take some time and determine what phase of discipleship you are in? You might be here this morning and you say, I'm not in any phase. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I just encourage you again, man, life really begins when you submit to him. He's a glorious king. He loves you. He went to the cross to die for your sins so that, so that you could have an abiding relationship with, with him. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have life, say, I, uh, I'm in phase one, or I'm in phase two, or whichever phase it is, man, uh, progress in life begins with knowing where you are. Amen. Or you might say, man, I feel like 10 years ago I was phase three, but this stuff going on in my life, I'm, I'm drifting back over here to phase two. I've kind of regressed a little bit. Hey, here's the good news. You see it with Jesus. He doesn't discard people and say, man, you didn't figure it out. You're done. No. He's devoted to you. And then what I'm asking you to do is, will you commit to pray that God will mature you and our church under the mission of making disciples? And we pray that God will lead us in the direction we can go so that we more align with his heart and purpose in making disciples. Uh, This leads right into what we're going to do next, which is our uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. I'm going to talk to you about that for a moment. Um, I mentioned earlier, just a few minutes ago, that God's at work in the North American church. And it's been powerful to see some things going on. Um, And we want to participate uh, as our church, what we do is we, we kind of connect with a whole lot of other churches for this Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So, a couple things on it. You might be our guest today, or you said, man, can you just pause? I lost an hour of sleep. I drowned in about eight gallons of pollen this week, and it's snowing out there. All right, so I don't even know what day it is. I forgot that today's Annie Armstrong Easter offering. That's all right. Good news. We're starting today. We continue through Easter. But what we are going to do is just as a, sometimes what you do in the body, it gives a little bit of oomph behind what you do in the soul. We are going to take the offering. And in a moment, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. And if you want to, or you came prepared today to give to the offering, there's uh, offering plates right up here at this table. You see them right there? And all we're going to ask you to do is just come down, put your offering in the plate, and then you're going to go back to your seat. And after everyone who plans to give to the offering has done so, we're going to sing together. So, uh, so I am going to go and invite you to stand. There are 371 million people living in North America right now. 280 million of them do not follow Jesus. So we give this offering for churches, right? To be planted for the furtherance of the gospel all over this continent that we we live in. So I'm going to pray together. Uh, pray. We're going to pray together. And then we're going to go right into the offering, right? As soon as I say amen, if you want to give the offering, you come right on. As always, who's going to go first? You're going to go first, right? You just say, I'm going to, if I'm going to give the offering, I'm going to go, and then we'll continue in our service together. As we pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. I really do believe that every enemy of Jesus is aligned against us making disciples. So we need your help. They worshipped and doubted. I can relate to that. <laughs> they worshipped and doubted. All authority in heaven on earth belongs to you, King Jesus. As we obey your commands, your love's perfected in So as we seek by your grace to all the more obey the Great Commission, may it be evident that we are increasingly loving you, loving one another, loving the nations. And may it be from your perspective that today to this offering we give generously and sacrificially. In Jesus' name, amen.